0: We're back with Nightmare Before Christmas, Part 2. We're still in our series about hope and belief. This time we're going to weave that in, because of course we're talking about change, to this idea of how to approach change with humility. In Part 1, we talked a lot about Jack's personal struggles. Jack has these challenges that he has to get past of wanting to be in control, believing that his skills and abilities are good enough for him to be able to lead anywhere and do anything. And... lack of collaboration really is his downfall so the other side of that is sally sally comes from this very small world of not even being alive (laughs) where she's this frankenstein's monster and she finds some sort of hope and purpose in supporting jack and in trying to build rich warm relationships like we talk about here on wonder tour so we have this comparison of Jack who is very prescriptive and thinks that he has the answers for everything and that wisdom just flows through him and he can go up in his tower and find all those answers and come back down and give them to the people versus Sally who is this curious explorer archetype because she starts with humility. She comes from nothing. She knows nothing to start out assumedly and she has to learn everything and so she has a very good process for learning. That's what makes her different than all these other characters and she employs that process in everything that she does, whether it's trying to escape from the prison that she finds herself in, or trying to understand this new way of thinking and experience of Christmastown. So Jack is so focused on the physical and the visual, but he doesn't understand what's underneath of it. He doesn't adopt the new mental models of Christmastown. And Sally sees that as a trap, and she humbly tries to suggest Hey Jack, I know you have this vision of you in the Sandy Claus costume. That's our central metaphor, but I have this vision of you falling out of the sky and burning up bright, and I'm not sure that you need to be Icarus here. So it's really interesting to think about the different tactics that Sally uses where she's not coming from a point of control, but she's really the instigator for positive change in Nightmare before Christmas. Welcome to One Tour.: I'm
1: Brian, I'm back here with Drew. I love that intro. I love that you brought in the element of learning here. And we've talked about this a number of times on Wonder Tour about the successful approach of the leaders and the idea that you need to approach a new problem or a new situation from the standpoint of first gather information and then make the plan, right? You know, whether it's the the Dom and the Fast Five, right, where they spend the first half of the movie just trying to learn or tease out or extract what the opponent's going to do, that idea that all of your first ideas aren't necessarily good. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't have first ideas. It didn't mean you shouldn't embrace something new. But it does mean that you need to have a sense of humility of I don't actually know anything to recognizing when you are ignorant, recognizing when there is a not just a hole in your reality of what you want, but a hole in your reality of what you perceive is really challenging so i wanted to maybe just start it off actually with the what if here what if in the so in business world there's a lot of different versions of try something before you commit to it right in the physical world there's build a prototype and test it out in the software world there's make a beta and roll it out and let some users see it in the startup world there's the mvp the minimum viable product what's the simplest thing that i could build that would let me observe customer behavior and find out if they actually respond to my idea the way i think that they're going to. This is my assertion is what if Jack makes a Christmas MVP? What if Jack, instead of trying to take over all of Christmas on day one and capture Santa Claus and put him in a bag and (laughs) deliver presents himself? What if he like tries it in one house? What if he just goes and does some customer research and observes Christmas a little bit more closely on Christmas Day without trying to alter it? What does that look like or what are what are some things that you could see happening?
0: First, I want to tie it to belief here and tie back to part one, because that is such a great what if. From a belief perspective, I think I would theorize that belief, it has to grow kind of organically and incrementally. Belief is not this switch that can be flipped. You know, it's not a binary thing. It's a scale. And so Jack is searching for something to believe in, right? He's looking for hope, and as a result of that, he finds Christmas Town. And Christmas Town isn't necessarily hope in and of itself, but it is something he can believe in. And so he just kind of tries to turn it into high gear really fast without going through the other gears here. And it's like, oh, okay, we'll just do Christmas now. I know we, we've done Halloween. We can definitely do Christmas. So his belief in himself and his belief in Christmas. He tries to make it absolute, and it's not to say that you can't get to a point where you have this super strong foundational belief in something, but, you know, maybe to get back to the what if, the best way to get that strong belief in something is to build up to it, to have progressive successes where you can show, hey, I know how to string Christmas lights now. Or I know how to give a gift that makes somebody really happy. And I mean, as always with our what ifs, right, the story goes completely differently. But I can see like this crazy world in terms of, you know, Jack collaborates with Christmastown and maybe Christmastown comes to Halloween and provides feedback like, no, 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 people would not like <laughs> You know, that could be an MVP in and of itself. That could be a theory is like, OK, how are they going to respond to the things we like? OK, they don't like them at all. So maybe we should not incorporate those into our idea of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's
1: get a couple of beta users and we'll give them snakes and spiders in their stockings and see how that goes. Right. If the first five houses don't respond super well, like, OK, wait, maybe we didn't quite get the way that this was supposed to go. Right. But he goes all in, right? He goes into production on day one. He's like, we're taking over the world. We got this new thing. We're going to be in charge of Christmas. And that's, you know, he's charming and he's creative and he's and he's highly competent, but he's missing the point, right? And that's the classic pitfall, right? Is You can invest huge resources into something and have a complete failure if you've missed some central understanding of it, especially if it's a kind of a central customer in value, understanding like, oh, that's not actually a thing that anybody wanted.
0: Well, haven't you seen that belief fall through too many times too, right? Somebody is desperately searching for something to believe in, just like Jack here. And as soon as they find something, they just grapple onto it without. It, it doesn't even matter. Like in this situation, right? Christmas is great. Christmas is awesome. It does bring joy to people. Even Jack, who has a Halloween Town mindset, still gets joy from Christmas. So, assumedly, the other Halloween Town townspeople will also enjoy Christmas. But he builds up the belief too fast, and he ends up just falling through the floor below him because he tried to climb out on a floor that wasn't done yet, basically, right? So maybe that's the a structural metaphor, an, an integrity metaphor for belief is like you know, from an Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade perspective, maybe before you walk onto the invisible walkway, you should build up some faith that this is the right process before you just walk off the cliff, because that's kind of what happens here. Jack's like, well, there must be an invisible floor anyway. Like, I'll just walk out right. there. And I, I usually manage to be able to improvise if things go wrong. And how do we build up that progressive belief? Because that's where Sally comes in for me. Sally well, that's, starts from scratch and has to build up this progressive belief. So her process for building belief is sound.
1: Well, yeah, there's two lessons there, right? One of them is the learning intentionally, right? Recognizing, like we, well, you started with humility, right? Recognizing that you don't know everything and that you should probably learn. And the second thing is that recognizing that you personally don't have to know everything and you can just listen to Sally or you can listen to Dr. Henry Jones, who spent 30 years studying the invisible bridge, right? You know, like you can leverage other people's knowledge. You can build the team. You can collaborate. You can be very intentional about learning and about examining your assumptions, right? That's what the whole prototyping or MVP process is about, right? It's not about having the cool demo thing. The whole point of it is to have a thing that you can examine that will test your assumptions. Like, I think the design's going to do this thing. I think this product's going to do this thing. I think my new process, my new system, my new whatever, my new idea is going to work this way. Let's try it and see before other people are depending on it. And that's the big failure mode here. He's in the Sandy Claus costume, and we have this wonderful parallel montage of everybody in Halloween town building Christmas stuff while everybody in Christmas town is building Christmas stuff. You know, and we're just seeing how badly they're missing the mark and how much fun they're having. They're delighted. They're doing all sorts of really cool things. They're completely convinced they're on the right track. Everybody's bought in. All of the internal signs are good. All of the internal signs, all the feedback he's getting from his team are, yay, we've got a new mission and you're a great leader and we're all completely on board with this. Everybody except Sally who's like, "Uh, excuse me, over here, Like, you didn't like check in with, So it's fun to watch that happen, like, you know, and Tim Burton does a great job of making it delightful and goofy. But, you know, you see the train wreck coming because you know that he hasn't learned the fundamental thing that he has to learn, partly because it's an emotional thing and he's trying to learn it rationally, and partly because he's new and he's trying to be in charge, and partly because the information is available to him that he might be on the wrong track and he's not listening because of how much confidence he has in his direction. So those are all compounding failures here.
0: So let's weave our way up the mountain to the mountaintop here. And I want to first reintroduce this, you know, some of our working definitions of belief we've talked about. It's having a strong conviction in something that you can't necessarily see or explain. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say explain, but that you can't necessarily see, right? Like Christmas prove, spirit. Yeah, yeah you, you can't necessarily. OK, yeah, that's prove or see. That's probably the right way to say it is. Yeah, you can't necessarily prove or see. And that I think Christmas fits into that in this story, right, is he believes in this thing. He has a conviction that this thing will bring joy to people and that this is the way that is one part of belief. But like the other part of belief is the structural integrity underneath of that. You can't just willfully believe in something and then suddenly that thing is true. There has to be something underlying it that has substance.
1: And that's the understanding, like the sort of the, whether it's a mechanism or the, the power behind it, but correlation is not causation. He observes that, you know, colored lights and presents in boxes correlate with happy people and Christmas joy, right? Like, and he doesn't really get what connects those things. He just assumes that both of those things will naturally happen together. So if I do colored lights and presents in boxes and I fly around on a sleigh and I put things under people's trees, you know, it'll necessarily work out. So he doesn't get to the root of what's going on there, right? He doesn't get to the root of it's not about you.
0: He doesn't. And this is a good potential example here. Let's hit the mountaintop. And then I've got an example from a business perspective. So putting the Sandy Claus hat on here, like the actual moment where you get lock, shock and barrel, they roll up with their wagon with Sandy Claus in the back. This time they've got the right Sandy Claus, not the Easter Bunny. And they, you know, his head pops out and Jack's like eager to greet him. And he's like, okay, so we can do Christmas now. Sandy Claus is like, no, he immediately throws water on it. He's like, no, you can't. This is not Christmas. What do you what do you have going on here? And Jack's like, new information is being proposed to him that, you know, the leader of Christmas is telling him, no, this isn't Christmas. And he's like, yeah, but I want to keep going. Well, you get the the year off.
1: You you get a vacation
0: this year. I got it. It's under control. Yeah. So let me just put the hat on and put you back in the bag and we'll just see what happens. The problem here is that his MVP is absolutely enormous. His MVP is like the size of his entire world. There's
1: nothing minimum about this. He went straight to production, right? He's like, I am going to be, yeah, this is a colossal business launch that just doesn't have any customer value behind it at all.
0: So here's the example, right? And we always bring in data science because, you know, you and I end up in that space often. And that's one of the big transformative areas of the 2020s. So data science, everybody who doesn't understand data science, which, to be honest, even is sometimes you and I, Brian, right? we talk about we want to be humble about our own understanding of things, comes in and they're like, well, if we could just do this thing, if we could just automate this, if we could just, you know, find this insight then that would solve this problem and we would make $100 million or whatever. Right. And we want to jump to the full production version of that so fast. And so when you maybe as the Sally in the room are like, well, yeah, that is a good vision. And like maybe that is possible. Like maybe we could combine Christmas and Halloween and maybe that would be a winning idea. Where it fails is when you have that sort of a vision, but you don't understand that it requires all sorts of effort and iterations and humility in order to get there. Data science is a good example of this, strictly because to create a model that is predictive, it requires many iterations and many different minimum viable products, and there's gonna be a lot of failures. I have never seen a data science project without a lot of failed iterations.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, we, and in in data science, we call that training, right? Like the whole point is that, you know, you have to tune the model until you get it right. And so that's, a, that's another example of that iteration. The other example I was thinking of here was, you may or may not remember this, but a couple of years ago, there was a uh, very splashy launch of a streaming service called Quibi, I think, Q-U-I-B-I. I don't even know how to pronounce it. And it was like $2 billion in funding. Meg Whitman was the CEO. Jeffrey Katzenberg was behind it, like super high profile, a whole bunch of really glossy content. And it was the streaming is cool, TikTok is successful, we're going to do super short form, extremely high quality produced videos by professionals, by celebrities, and we're going to launch the streaming platform and people are going to pay us money to watch our little two minute short form videos, right? And it was, the content was probably great, who knows, right? But it was an epic failure, like it lasted months, and it just completely collapsed. And eventually, I think Roku bought their back catalog they had observed two things, right? Short form videos are good. We know how to do high quality media. We can get a bunch of money to just go do this thing. And we've been successful at other things. So obviously this will work. And there was no evidence that people actually wanted this thing at all. And it was completely not accepted in the market. It was completely not a viable competitor to any of the alternatives that were out there. Right. And it's not a great
0: example. Right. And they were, I remember that
1: now. And I'm sure all the people that were involved in it are like, woohoo, we're making Christmas. You know, I'm I'm putting these, (laughs) I'm putting these spiders in boxes and I'm, you know, I'm wrapping up the presents and this is going to be amazing. They got a whole bunch of people organized around a vision that didn't have sufficient evidence for it. And they went straight to full production. Right. And that's not how TikTok started. Right. TikTok wasn't $2 billion in a media mogul top down declaring that this is going to be the viral sensation. TikTok was. 300,000 startups in China trying a whole bunch of different things with video and
0: this is the formula that worked. (laughs) (laughs) I mean is it safe to say that belief inherently starts with doubt? Like you can't just jumpstart belief and just say oh no no we just you know this is the idea and we have we believe in it so it must be true. Like you have to build up to it. It starts with some scale or percentage of doubt that you have and then you need to remove that doubt iteratively And one of the processes you can do that is by creating these experiments or MVPs that you run.
1: Yeah, I would say that it has to be paired, right? Like it has to be doubt and it has to be I intend to learn. I'm not going to accidentally learn the thing. I'm going to run some experiments and learn the thing. I'm going to try and see how this works. And I'm going to build up my evidence that, oh, this is the way things might, you know, this makes sense to me. Or this is the way things have worked all the times that I ran it. And so it must be a real thing. So, yeah, I think doubt is is a key element that openness to the fact that I don't know something or that openness to the fact that my understanding of the world doesn't completely explain what's happening. But then you have to be very intentional about the humility and the collaboration and the reflection of trying to fill those gaps and being open to the idea that your first idea about the thing you're trying to believe in might be wrong.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, that doubt and belief coexist on a scale, basically. And yes, you can reach 100% belief in something, absolutely, You know, that's from a scientific perspective, when a theory becomes a law is when we reach 100% belief in it, and we have removed the doubt. But I think as humans, because we need something to hope in, and we need that box to be filled, we can jump too quickly to putting belief in something into that box and not test it out properly and not go through the process of, you know, the elasticity back and forth of belief and doubt in something. And Whether that's personal development, dealing with your problems that you have in your inside of yourself, as well as in your interpersonal relationships, or whether that's running a project or a new business venture, either way, there is this process that we have to go through. And we all know that's true. And yet we all tend to fall right back into the Jack Skellington, (laughs) well, I'll just wear the Sandy Claus costume and I'll just become Santa and I'll become Christmas.
1: Right. You know, and that's one of the things we're trying to accomplish here, right, is, you know, just sort of talking through these examples. This is a delightful movie, but in terms of leadership lessons, what we want to walk away with, right, is that hopefully you don't get to the point where you're being literally shot out of the sky, you know, in spectacular failure before you learn the lesson, right? Before you get the, oh, this is what Christmas is really about, or this is how you really do this thing properly, or, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should try to be a smaller part of this, or I should try to work on something that's more in my wheelhouse. So that hubris and that sort of blind running at a thing, and then if I put on the costume, I'll be successful, like those can all be powerful leadership attributes. Confidence is contagious and powerful. Trying out the new thing and embracing a new thing fully is contagious and powerful. Belief in yourself is contagious and powerful but doing all those things without humility without collaboration without the reflection of maybe I don't quite get it yet maybe I'm not ready yet the rigorous self-honesty you can get shot out of this guy
0: you can and let's look at as we're coming down the mountain here Sally's actions because I want to get to something a little bit tangible here and how does she build belief because she starts out by, to some extent, being a little bit of a naysayer on Jack's ideas for Christmas, but she does it in a respectful way. And I don't mean like respectful as in to authority. I mean, respectful as in like a human respectful way, like she disagrees without berating him or without telling him he's stupid or anything like that. She's just telling him like, I have legitimate concerns, but she doesn't stop helping him. And that's the hard thing for us to do as humans, because we try to create factions too often here and act like the problem is already solved, and that would be the same mistake that Jack is making, because Jack is assuming the problem is already solved, and we just believe in Christmas and it works. Sally's saying like, no, I I don't agree with you, but I'll make you a Santa Claus costume, because I still want to be a part of the journey, and I still think that I have value to add here. So how do you see Sally navigating this with humility, Brian?
1: Well, she, she clearly still has the hope, you know I think she makes the costume right cuz she's like well maybe maybe he'll figure it out maybe maybe he'll listen to me or maybe there is a chance that this could be a good thing like but she finally crosses the line where she's like this isn't going to work and I have to stop it right she actually tries to sabotage the whole operation with the fog juice she's very resourceful and she is seeing that how badly this is going to go and at some point you know as a leader he pushes her too far he's going down this road and she's like this is not going to work and it's going to be bad for everybody and the most respectful, loving thing that I can do is to try to just like covertly stop it. I'm just going to spike the wheels here. And so that's that's the thing to look out for. Right. If you have people around you who are loyal and supportive and also telling you that you're maybe not on the right track, like those are different from naysayers. That's, they are. That's, that's not, you know, like Santa Claus is telling you you're on the wrong track. Well, he's part of the old way and you're part of the new way. So maybe you can ignore him because that's the whole point of is doing the new thing. But if the people that are on your team are telling you that like you maybe haven't quite got the right emotional content, you're not leading in a direction that you understand, that might be something to pay attention to. And and honestly, we don't see Sally succeed in convincing him like he has to run into the brick wall himself. So when you're in that role, you also have to recognize that you've got limited authority to keep your leaders from running off the cliff. And all you can do is be supportive enough that they might listen to you and or decide when you got to go, you know, post something on WikiLeaks, I guess.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, Sally, she kind of tries to get him to run into the wall in a controlled environment, right? She tries to have the big explosion happen before he's flying over the city Mm -hmm. so that he doesn't have to have that big explosive failure. So I think I find myself in that boat reasonably often, right? Because you need to lead up, you need to lead down, you need to lead sideways if you're magnanimous. And especially when you're leading upwards, you do have to work those ropes a little bit, right? You have to look for all the different levers and buttons that you have available, and you don't necessarily hit the big red one that's right in the middle all the time that says eject. You understand that I'm not gonna quit on you. I'll never quit on you. I'm here to help. I'm here to, I believe in the mission. But at the same time, I'm going to slowly try to steer the ship a certain direction. And I'm going to do so by asking questions and telling stories, usually. And that's the wonder tour method. When you can ask questions and tell stories that force people to think differently, and you can introduce these small... I mean, I've seen it. We've talked about it with the dojo, right? The dojo is is a microcosm moment. When you can create a microcosm moment that teaches somebody a big world lesson... I mean, oh my gosh, that is such a valuable tactic, but it requires a lot of input up front to design that microcosm usually.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's really good. And that sense of, like you said, leading up and down and sideways and, you know, looking for your opportunities to influence the direction. But, and we see this with Sally, right? Even after the disaster, she's still looking out for not herself. She's not like, well, I told you so, <laughs> you know, like, you know, fine, whatever, you deserve that, right? She's like, you know, we still have this problem to solve, right? We still have a Christmas thing that needs to get done and we still have Halloween Town that needs to be pulled together. And so she's still trying to solve the problem, right? Like, all right, fine. I'm gonna go put myself in peril. I'm gonna go see if I can get Santa Claus out of the cave. We should all be so lucky. You should recognize your opportunities to salvage something even from the disasters rather than running away from them or blaming somebody for them. You know, she doesn't pass through the blame process at all. And we should all be so lucky to have somebody on the team who's like,
0: anyway, I think I still got a way out of this. Yep. She continues to fight for the mission. She doesn't give up on Jack. That, you're right, is the type of magnanimous leadership that you're looking for in your organization and that you want to become yourself. So I think as we're coming down here to the bottom of the mountain, reflecting on what we've learned, some key takeaways. You know, we brought back our definition of belief saying it's a strong conviction and something you cannot prove or see. We talked about how hope potentially leads us to try to put something in the belief box. You know, if we have hope for the future or we want to have hope, we're just looking for beliefs. And if we just latch on too quickly and don't understand that we have to go through that iterative doubt process, you know, then we end up with the Santa Claus costume with no substance underneath of it and no understanding of actual Christmas. So the process to build belief is iterative. I think that's the key takeaway from this part for us within the big Hope and Belief series. We got so many cool takeaways in terms of business and analogies. But for me, it's really all about how building belief is iterative. And you know that inherently as a human, but you have to say it sometimes. Belief starts with doubt. Follow Sally's example. Start by holding tight to your values. If you believe that collaboration and humility is the way forward, don't give up on that. Don't give up on the mission. Find a way to contribute and then. The humility aspect is, hey, I'm going to be a curious explorer. I'm looking for new information. I'll run experiments if I have to, whatever it takes, maybe my MVPs that I need to make. But I'm going to do them with humility, saying that I don't understand everything. I'm going to look for collaborators, and I'm going to work with those collaborators, you know, in whatever bandwidth they'll give me. And I'm going to reflect often and make reflection not only a ritual that I do, but something that's baked into every one of these other processes, right? my humility is seeped in reflection. I'm constantly examining myself, my thoughts, my actions, and trying to figure out how can I do this better to help others.
1: Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's I think that's, that's really powerful. And these elements are things that we see a lot of places, and they're really evident on the screen here. The only thing I wanted to add was just when you have that humility, when you recognize that there's things to learn, realizing how deep those things might be, realizing how fundamental the shifts in your mindset might have to be in order to really embrace something new. So the difference between Halloween and Christmastown is not we need less black and gray and orange and more green and <laughs> red and shiny lights, right? Like those are differences, but those are they're necessary, but they're not sufficient. The fundamental difference between Halloween and Christmas is Halloween is about scaring people and Christmas is about loving them. Right, And Jack doesn't get that. Right? You know, he doesn't get the basic difference. The purpose is different between these two ways of doing things. They're designed for different ends. And so being purpose-driven, recognizing that if you have a hole in your life and you're trying to embrace something new, it might be that you need to be open to a shift in your purpose, a shift in your intentions, a shift in some of your fundamental assumptions about the world that's the kind of doubt
0: you need. Not just the red and green needs to be instead of black and orange. Oh, that's really good. The shift can be more fundamental than you think. That's really big and that's hard to accept because you have these mental models that are pretty core or even kind of secondary mental models that you use so often. And to think that, the shift could be inside of those usually secondary sentimental models, your core mental models, we kind of said, like stick to your values. But those secondary models are so valuable and we use them so often. And then to think like, oh, I have to examine those is really hard because those are kind of running subconsciously most of the time.
1: And that's why Jack is such a great character to tell this story, right, is because he's successful. He has evidence that his core models, that his secondary models are working. They explain his world and they make him successful. And so he doesn't think to question them and why sally is a good character for questioning them because she's more of a neophyte she's less outwardly successful right she's she's coming from below and so she's able to like well you know i guess i should be paying attention to what's going on around me i guess i should be examining the assumptions of how to be successful so that's you know going back to the very beginning of this like we find jack in this midlife crisis he questions the substance of what he's doing he thinks that that's the problem like halloween's not exciting enough because i've done it over and over again so i need to do halloween with red and green and sparkly lights and it'll be cool Right, he doesn't question the purpose of what he's doing, and that's really the thing that he's dissatisfied with, and that's really the thing that most of us are dissatisfied with, right? If I'm tired of running a database for 10 years, it's not that I don't believe in databases anymore, but it's also making another database is probably not going to make me happy. (laughs) Perhaps I should be looking for a different pattern of interaction with the world or a different kind of value that I can bring, and hopefully I don't have to get shot out of this guy to learn it.
0: Man, well this was probably the longest key takeaways ever, Brian, but I'm going to extend it with one more thing that I just thought about. So we've been talking about how Jack goes up into the tower. He goes to a high place and he's seeking a vision and he does it alone and he gets this vision. Our central metaphor is Sandy Claus costume and how the vision is flawed because it's just too flimsy. It doesn't go deep. I think for us, right, every single week we talk about going up to the mountaintop. But what's different is that we go together. When we go to the mountaintop, we, we bring uh, friends along.
1: Yeah, no, Jack explicitly, he, he goes to the mountaintop and finally he gives up and he's like... Ah, there's actually nothing to learn here. I'm just going to make it about me. <laughs> like, right. That's, yeah, exactly. that's, what he, that's what he comes <laughs> back from the mountaintop with. Right. What we're trying to do together is it's not about us. What can we learn on the mountaintop that we can bring back to everybody else? What can we learn that resonates with more people than just me? So, yeah, the humility is the key word for this episode for sure.
0: Oh man, I'm just excited to bring that one forward because I know we have so many of these key metaphors and concepts that we utilize, but now the mountaintop takes on some new meaning now that we've seen like the mountaintop is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The problem Mm -hmm. is if you take the wrong process up to the mountaintop, it can be more of a bad thing than a good thing.
1: All right, well, let's lean into that next time, but I think this uh, this is a good place to leave Nightmare Before Christmas. So really appreciate everybody joining us for this ride. Hopefully you're enjoying the holiday season as well. Next time, we are going to continue our journey of hope and belief in an even more fantastic world. We're going to revisit J.R.R. Tolkien's worlds with The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, the first movie in The Hobbit series. So looking forward to that. And until then, have a great week. And remember, as always, character is destiny.